Hey everybody, welcome to the Sharpening Report. No guest, it is just me today, but I got some exciting things to talk about. I want to get into Revelation uh, 4 and the idea of the rapture. Is it a pre-trib? Um, can we actually prove from Revelation 4 that the pre-trib rapture is the right one? Um, I, want to, I want to talk about that. I want to go, I want to go through um, some... I want to go through some problems that uh, passages in Revelation 4 bring up with some of, some of the rapture views and, and get into it. Now, I want to preface this by saying this is not a topic for us to divide on. We should not be dividing. We should not be blasting each other in the comment section. Um, and I, I, I know that there are people already, just from the title alone, uh, already will have angry thoughts and they'll want to put that in the comment section. And I think that that is a sign of immaturity. Um, I, I think when somebody lets the rapture become an excuse to, 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 to bash your brothers and sisters in Christ, um, that is definitely a sign of immaturity. Now, we can disagree. We can have conversations and debates. I think those are great. Uh, but it should always be done in love and mutual respect. Um, now, I, I have been personally all over the place on this question of the rapture. Um, there, I, I can, there's a point in my life uh, where for, for, for each rapture belief, there was a point in my life where I believed it. Um, I believed in the partial rapture theory for a while. I was mid-trib for a while. I was uh, you know, pre-trib, post-trib, pre-rath, which is super popular. I actually now think, um, after really thoroughly researching this, I think pre-rath is like the weakest of all of them. Partial rapture might be too. But um, Now, the whole idea of the rapture is way too big to, get it, to, to deal with in just one video. So I, that, that's why I want to really focus in on just Revelation 4 and what we can learn about it. Um, but, uh, but I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this today. I, I, I've been talking about this topic on my other show, JPD Weekly, which you can find at dailyrenegade.com. There's actually a whole, um, uh, long video teaching up at dailyrenegade.com. If you're a member, you can have access to it on the idea of, uh, a possibly a long gap between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation, because, you know, we know that the tribulation does not begin with the rapture. It begins with the signing of the, 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 or the confirmation of the covenant with many. So we don't know how long of a period of time there is between the rapture and the start of the tribulation, if it's a pre-trib rapture. Um, and studying this further, I think there's good reason to suspect there might actually be decades, which is good news for us, if that's true. Uh, now I'll, I'll fully admit I just want that to be true too. You know, I mean, I, I, I so I, I'm not like, I'm not 100% sold on it. Like I would not teach that as gospel truth, but I would definitely put it out there as a possibility and something to consider and something to study out. I think it actually ends up answering a lot of questions. But uh, I'm not going to talk as much about that today because uh, again, I have that whole series that you can go and watch at DailyRenegade.com if you're a member. Uh, and you can find that in the JPD section. Um, but today, uh, I, I want to uh, I, I kind of compare and contrast Revelation 4 and 5 to just kind of begin with. So 
we know from uh, we we know from Scripture, obviously, that through God we have there's creation itself, and through God we have redemption itself. So the judgments throughout Revelation are so severe. Some people think that God is cruel for inflict for inflicting suffering such as that, but as we read, uh, as Jesus takes the scroll with seven seals, Jesus is the one worthy of this. His judgment is just and fair. Our judgment, our judgment of others is not. So this world and its inhabitants are God's creation, not our own. Uh, and this is the way that God has decided it needs to be judged, just as he decided it would be through the death and resurrection of Jesus that those who accept him will be redeemed. So it would be unjust for us to think that we know better how God should handle his creation when we ourselves are that very creation. So our reason, logic, and intellect that we use to make those determinations come from God himself, yet they have been deeply affected by sin. So it's impossible for us as fallen human beings to judge righteously while in our fallen state, which is why we look to a perfect judge, Jesus Christ, to handle it. Uh, and that's that's why when it comes to judging others, we have to, you know, we don't get to put people on trial in our own minds. You know, we, we don't judge people based on what they're doing because we don't like it. You know, if, if we're going to judge at all, it's got to be based on what God's already said, you, you know, such and such is a sin, not because I don't like it, but because this is what the Bible says. So we always point it back to God's judgment, not our own. Uh, so we as Christians need to realize that. Like, like, and actually, it's a good thing that that comes up in a rapture thing because I've never seen uh, Christians more unjustly judgmental than they are with the question of the rapture. I mean, very, very unjustly judgmental towards their Christian brothers and sisters who have a different view. Well, you, 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 you must not have read your Bible then. You, you must not really love God. Oh, that's just a foolish belief and the Bible doesn't teach such things. And those things are said about every rapture belief. Um, now, I will say, I see way more of it against the preacher of rapture belief. Always have, too. Even when I was mid-trib, even when I, this isn't just because I'm pre-trib now. When, when I was in all, I, I actually kind of was able to breathe a sigh of relief when I was pre-wrath. Because I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm definitely not going to get hated on for this. And I wasn't. No pre-trib person, um... Maybe random YouTube comments, you know, sometimes I would get it from pre-trib people, but not often. Rarely did I ever get like a pre-trib person coming out against me or, or, or like, like getting really angry about the rapture thing because I didn't believe in pre-trib. That doesn't happen much. Sometimes it will. You know, I'm not trying to put pre-tribbers on a pedestal here. Actually, when, when I was younger... I was raised in an environment where uh, I, I, I was raised pre-trib, but it was it was like if if somebody isn't pre-trib, then they must not they can't be a real Christian. You know, I, I wasn't taught to hate them or anything, but I was taught to like that kind of think there, there's something wrong with their spirituality. Like they, they how, how can you be a real Christian and not believe the pre-trib rapture? And, and I wasn't exposed to any of the other views. I didn't know what mid-trib was, or I didn't know what any of the other views were. Um, so I was kind of taught it was like it was like sinful or something to believe in one of the other views. And it's not. It's not sinful. Um, you know, it might be an error, but 
it's a forgivable error. It, it's it's something that it, it's like God's not going to punish you over it. I don't think. I, I think you know there are things in Scripture that can just legitimately be confusing, and as long as you're not using it as an excuse to fall into pride, because that that's when I was much younger, that's what it did to me. I I, I had my view. People who didn't hold my view weren't real Christians, and I was very prideful. It wasn't a problem with the preacher of rapture. It was a problem with my pride. So I see a lot of that encouraged in the other rapture views. But mostly what I see from pre-tribbers is they'll they'll say like, well, you know, this view is wrong for these various reasons, biblical reasons. Um, But, you know, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we know that we're all going up in the rapture, no matter what you believe about it, and we love you anyway, and like the meanest thing I've ever heard any like popular teacher say about, unless they're just a jerk, but I, 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 I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't like, the meanest thing I said is, is like, well, they'll find out when it happens, you, you know, <laughs> but you, you, I've, I've gotten cussed out from like pre-rathers and stuff, but anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent with that, but, um, but I just, I just want to mainly make the point, this is not something that we need to be arguing about. But, uh, and, and actually to argue about it, it, it it's so sullies and, and, and just dirties and perverts the word of God. Imagine taking this wonderful, beautiful gift that, that God has given us, the word of God, you know, the Bible. He's, he's given us the Bible. And then to take that amazingly wonderful gift from God himself to us human beings and to use that as a tool, as a weapon against each other to, to, to just indulge in our own pride. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's just when you see it, when you start seeing it for what it is, it, it starts, you start getting sick about it. Like it starts just really bothering you. And, and that's a good thing because it, it'll, it'll root it out of yourself because everybody has pride issues. So, um, that, that helps. Um, anyway, so, uh, so let, let's, let's get into it. Now, there's actually three parts to chapter 4 of Revelation. Um, chapter 4.1 is the command to enter heaven. Chapter 4.2-8 is things seen in heaven. And then uh, there's a song in heaven, chapter 4.9-11. Now, the command to enter heaven is split into two parts. First, there's a vision. Second, there's a voice that makes the command. So, Revelation 4.1 says... After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, which I had heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now that phrase, come up here in Greek, is what's called an imperative, meaning it's a command. Some people wonder if this verse here is a picture of the rapture. We're told that we too will hear a voice, as well as the last trump, and will be raptured. But is Revelation 4.1 specifically giving us a glimpse of the rapture? It actually depends on how we look at it. Now, in one sense, we would say this is not the rapture because we don't see the whole church being taken up to heaven here. It's only John, as far as we can tell, and it's in the first century. It's sort of like how Enoch and Elijah being taken was not the rapture exactly, but still occurred for God's purposes. So in that sense, we would say Revelation 4.1 was a specific event designed for John to give him a message to bring to the rest of the church. Now, we have many examples of these types of things, though. Not all are exactly alike. They all have some differences, whereas the rapture will be the same for all Christians. So these aren't uh, these examples that I'm going to give. They're not the rapture technically, but we still get the sense from these examples that they're related in some way. 
So we have Enoch in Genesis 5 who walked with God and was not. We have Elijah who is caught up in 2 Kings 2. Uh, Jesus himself, uh, Acts 1.11, Revelation 12.5. Philip in Acts 8.39. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.2-4. John, of course, in our passage, Revelation 4.1 and 2. And then we also have the two witnesses in Revelation 11. So this does show us that this idea of human beings being called up out of nowhere, it's not foreign to the Bible at all, as we have at least seven examples of this happening with individuals throughout the Bible. So when someone says that there's no biblical precedent for a rapture at all found in the Bible, you can know that they're only exposing their own ignorance on the topic and even their own pride that's blinding them to their own ignorance. Um, Prideful people typically do not have the humility to admit a possibility that they might not know enough about a topic to exclaim about it with such certainty, but we see that exact type of thing a lot online today. And this is why it's important for us to look at the strongest arguments from all sides of an issue, weigh them out, see what's more consistent as a whole biblically. Uh, Doing exactly that is what eventually convinced me that the pre-trib rapture view is correct. Um... Not everyone will agree with me on that, and that is totally fine, but it is certainly not something we need to be dividing over or use as an excuse to hurl insults or accusations as one another as we see so often online from all sides. Um, People think that they're being, it's just, you know what what it is, it's an exclamation of self-importance. People think that they are so important that that they 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 need to be heard that that they they are just God's gift to everybody and they they're just going to slam in all caps on their keyboard in some YouTube comment and they're going to go along their merry way and do it to 50 other videos that day. Uh it's just we as Christians should not be participating in that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, I you know, just a lot of Christians do that. Um but that's prideful. Now, you can disagree, you can put your reasons, you know. It's not it's not so much about what it said, it's it's how it said. When, when, when somebody's actions or the way that they're saying things is proclaiming that, you know, they're right, everybody else is wrong, um, that, that when you can tell the person has taken no care in how his comment is going to be received, that's a prideful person. It, it just is. There's no way around it. A, a humble person is not going to uh, put something out there like that. They may have the same opinion, but... They're going to craft it in a way that it's not going to be taken negatively from uh, the people who read it who might not agree. They uh, Prideful people think less of people who don't agree with them. They're, they're almost subhuman, so you don't have to be polite, and you can just be mean and nasty. And it's, it's just, it, it's, it's pride. Uh, anyway, now, if uh, pre-tribbers are wrong, so I, I've heard this before, like this accusation gets thrown out, that, um, well, all you, all you pre-tribbers, you're waiting for the rapture and you're just going to accept the mark of the beast when it comes around. No. If pre-tribbers are wrong, they will not accept the mark of the beast. That is a straw man. And it's easily disproved by how reluctant pre-trib Christians, really all Christians, are typically to putting a chip in their hands or even how suspicious they are about the, 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 V-A-C-C-I-N-E-S, that I can't say, otherwise this video will get deleted, uh, but how, how suspicious they are to that kind of thing. Um, I don't see pre-tribbers lining up just ready to receive into their body whatever the government wants to offer. That, that doesn't happen. 
if free troopers are wrong and the mark of the beast comes along, they're not going to be taking it. <laughs> it's just, it's, re, it's a ridiculous argument. Don't you think once the tribulation starts and a quarter, what is it, like a quarter of the world or half of the world is killed off? Don't you think that would be a clue that, okay, well, it wasn't pre-trib, you know, let's hope for pre-wrath or something. What, don't you, but, but it's because people, like when they get caught up in pride, they think so low of people who disagree that they don't even consider, you know, these are human beings with actual thoughts and reasoning and logic. And, you know, if I really think about it, if I think of them as people, it doesn't make sense that they would accept the mark of the beast. No, they won't. They're Christians. But if you think of them as just idiots, you know, then you can straw man them to death and believe anything that you want about them, thus lifting up your own pride. And there is so much of that in the church. And we as Christians individually have got to get a hold on that. If there is one message you get from this, please get that. Get a hold of your own pride. Ask God to show it to you the way that he sees it. Um, I prayed that prayer, and I'm telling you, it is an ugly sight, but it is a needed sight. You need to see your own pride the way that God sees it. And you can't see it yourself. That's got to be a Holy Spirit thing. Uh, so ask, in, in, in all sincerity, ask God to show that to you and lead you out of it. And it might take years, but if you're, if you're really wanting that, um, he'll show you. Now, if you're insincere about it and you're just saying the words and you don't really care, then you're not going to see it. And you'll just, you, you'll find out when you stand before God, I guess, uh, you'll, you'll, you, you might lose some rewards for that. I don't know. Um, you won't lose salvation for it, but you know you might lose some heavenly rewards for it. But anyway, um, now this shows that this straw man that, that pre-tribbers would take the mark of the beast. It, it, no, 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 they won't. Now, at the same time, I don't see any evidence because there there are sometimes there are not as much, but sometimes there are arguments lobbed at. Post-tribbers. Um, I don't see any evidence that post-tribbers, by and large, are more susceptible to engaging in like daily sinful behaviors just because they don't think God, uh, Jesus could come back today. Now, that, that's sometimes that's said. I, I don't hear it as often, but I, I do hear like, well, if you don't think that Jesus could come back today, um, you're just going to be partying it up and, and, you know, because you know that it can't be today. I don't see evidence of that. Now, if it's, if it's worded like, you know, that could lead to a general attitude of maybe being a little looser, because I can definitely see a spiritual benefit to eminence, to, to thinking that today could be the day that Jesus returns, so I better be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That, that's a great motivator that post-tribbers wouldn't have, but it seems to me that any good Christian would have that motivation because you never know when you're going to die. I mean, right? Wouldn't you think that, like, okay, I know I could die today and see Jesus, so I better be doing everything I'm supposed to. Now, I know we don't typically see that. People don't usually act like that. But, um, but I would think that motivation could exist just in that. So, I, I don't, I, again, I don't, I don't see evidence that specifically post-tribbers are, are, like partying it up because Jesus can't come back today. Again, now I don't really hear that straw man argument lobbed against post-tribbers that much, but I have heard it. And it, 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 it is said sometimes. Uh, and it is exaggerated sometimes. And I, I don't see that. Uh, to me, that's a straw man too. Both those claims draw from the same evidence-free logic. 
based more on fear or pride rather than anything real. So maybe there's evidence or statistics to actually show these things, but I've never come across any that would bring a legitimate worry to the church. Uh, And what's interesting is everyone I've ever seen make such claims, none of them provide evidence to back it up, and none of them are actually worried for the individual. It's not like, it's not like, oh man, Mr. Pre-Tribber, I, I, I love you and I'm really worried about you. I mean, if the mark of the beast comes along, or don't, what if you accidentally accept it? I, I, w- I would hate to see that happen to you because I love you and I want to see you in heaven. You don't ever see that attitude. It's never that attitude. It's always anger. It, it's all. It's always with, with like the air of like, well, you idiots. You're just going to accept the mark of the beast when it comes along, then, because I'm I'm so much smarter and I'm I'm not going to do that. It's um, it's it's not. It, it's a worry that doesn't come from the right place. Uh, but but again, like I said, I've never seen anybody actually provide any evidence. It's just it's just a baseless claim. Christians assume pre-tribbers are going to be unprepared for the tribulation and lose their faith, faith or post-tribbers are going to party it up and sin every day and not be prepared for Jesus' return. Uh, we, we also hear a lot from all sides that the other sides are only doing it to sell books. I, I, I hear this all the time. And every side lobs this insult at every other side on every topic in Christianity, basically. Wow, I'm sure you're selling a lot of books with that. I, I got to tell you, as an author myself and one who has been involved in every side of the rapture debate, I've seen it everywhere. It's, it, it is a tired and overused accusation, and we got to quit saying it. Could possibly some pre-tribbers, post-tribbers, and pre-rathers only uh, believe in that or only using it to sell books or survival gears? Maybe. There, there's probably a few examples of that out there, no doubt. I'm sure there's a couple examples out there, but that doesn't mean that they represent everyone involved in that interpretation. That is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, that would be that we we as Christians get mad when the world does this to us. When there's somebody claiming to be a Christian and they do some horrible thing, and then Christians get painted with that broad brush, we hate it, and we're always trying to say, "Well, no, that's not Christianity. It's not Christians." But look how often we do that to each other with every belief. We, we put these weird motivations on people that aren't even real. And we have no evidence. So just because somebody sells a book means that they believe those things just to sell a book. Like, it's, it, it can't be that they really believe in it and they want to help people and so they're writing books. And, you know, it can't, it can't be that. It has to be, like, just the worst motivation we can think of. I, I think it's perfectly reasonable to assume a Christian who believes in a post-trib uh, rapture thing, would want to, if they can, provide some provisions to other brothers and sisters for a very difficult time ahead. I also think it's perfectly reasonable to assume a pre-trib rapture believer would, if they can, write books with evidence to support the view in order to provide encouragement to other believers in this fear-driven world. That's what I'm trying to do with this uh, video. I believe in the pre-trib, and I think it's a, it's an excellent source of, of comfort and strength. Uh, you know, some of the other beliefs will say that like it's it's it like promotes weakness somehow it, it it doesn't it promotes strength because it's imminent it could happen at any moment so you better be on your game yeah i mean you if you you don't want you you don't want the rapture to happen when you're engaged in some kind of sinful behavior um it can it can help keep you on on the right track now you hear christians saying well i don't need that that's a crutch i don't need that yeah you do 
you, you do. You need something outside of yourself to keep you on the right track because you alone can't do it. You, you, need, you need God guiding and directing that. And you need to know that there is some consequence. Um, other, otherwise, uh, you're a human being just like I am. If there's no consequence whatsoever, then why don't we all just fall into hypergrace and sin as much as we want? I, I mean, because, and that's totally unbiblical. There is a consequence. You could lose rewards. I don't believe that you're going to lose your salvation over, over certain things like that, but you could lose your rewards. Um, and those, those rewards that you get, those crowns are implements of worship that you use to, to worship Jesus with. We lay the crowns at his feet. You know, we don't, we don't cast the crowns and just leave them there forever. Um, I, I think it's an act of worship that, you know, we, we take these crowns, these amazing gifts that God has given to us. We lay them as, at his feet when we, when we worship him. <laughs> When we have our time of worship in front of them, uh, and then we 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 take them back when the worship is over because they're our gifts, and then when worship time comes up, you know, it's not a definite thing. It's not laid out that specifically in the Bible, but that's what I think. That's what I think is going on. But either way, those rewards are going to be very important to you when you're at the bema seat, when you're standing before Jesus, and you'll be happy because you'll be in heaven. But you could suffer loss. I mean, that scripture says that, uh, and uh, you could be disappointed not in a way like you're going to hell or anything, but just in a way like you, you could be disappointed and man, I could have done so much more. Um, or, or I could have improved so much more if my pride didn't get in the way. Or, you know, I, I could have not said that YouTube comment, you, you know, uh, little things like that. But, um, so that's important too. Um, but yeah, the, the, that, that whole thing, you know, they just use it to sell books. That, that has become such an overused cliche. Like those who will call everything racist nowadays, you know, the word eventually loses its meaning. I, I think instead of casting dispersions and assumptions like that against our brothers and sisters, which, by the way, have never worked, because we still have about five different rapture camps today. So those fear-based attacks, they don't convince anyone to entertain a different view. They only root a person deeper in the view that they already hold. So if you're a post-tribber, let's say, and you, you think everybody should be a post-tribber, don't go insulting pre-tribbers. They will never be post-tribbers then. They'll never, they, they'll never be. You, you, you'll, you'll make more pre-tribbers that way. Say, same if you're a pre-tribber and you think everybody should be pre-trib. Don't go, you, there should be nothing in your arsenal that's insulting. It shouldn't be like a tactic of yours to insult your Christian brothers and sisters or, or to say things harshly, but it's really for their own good. You know, no, you'd say, you can say things nice and lovingly and still make your biblical argument. Um, I, I'm interested in, but this is why I'm putting so much emphasis, emphasis on the pride thing. I, I care more about people getting out of their own pride than I care about what rapture belief they hold. But I do think the rapture is very important, and I think there is a great source of uh, freedom and comfort in the pre-trib view because it, because it just, the way I see it, it just is the biblical view. It just is correct. Um, and the other views, in my opinion, have a lot of problems that I can't reconcile with, a, with a, a full reading of the scripture, I can reconcile the pre-trib view. So that's why I, I eventually gravitated to pre-trib. And it took, again, it took me years. Um, I was convinced all the other views at one point in my life were right. So, um, but I do not look down on somebody if they don't believe my way. I don't think less of them at all. Um, actually, one person I really like, Dr. Michael Brown, uh, I don't agree with him on everything. He he's a post-trib guy. I'm I'm pre-trib, um, and 
and there there are some things that you know there there are just, there are just things I I don't agree with the post trip stuff. I don't necessarily agree always with the ways that he will portray the rapture as a whole or the pre-trib rapture view or pre-tribbers. Um, but uh, in, a, in a lot of other areas, I really look up to Dr. Michael Brown, and I, I think he's great. I've had him on the show before. We'll probably have him on again. I think he is fantastic. Um, he is absolutely a believer in Christ. He, he, uh, he's, he's, he's got a lot of faith. I mean, you know, he's, he's very influential. Um, I, 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 I love uh, a lot of his work. I, I love the stuff that he does with, like, anti-Semitism in the church and that kind of stuff. I, I think that that is so important. Uh, it's just that one area I disagree with him on, and I don't think less of him because of it. So if you find yourself thinking less of a Christian brother or sister because of their view on the rapture, now, now, I will say, I do tend to think less of people if they have a nasty attitude about it. Um, and with that, because that's more of a personality pride thing, that, that, that does not reflect the knowledge that they have in their head. It reflects what they have in their heart. So instead of doing that, we should be discussing these things with a genuine sense of wonder and excitement and love for each other. And if we're concerned about the spiritual well-beings of our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's humbly pray for one another, pray for ourselves in humility, and voice our concerns in truth and respect instead of ignorance and arrogance. If we don't talk to each other, we're going to naturally and sinfully assume all sorts of nasty things about each other. And that, that's the fallen state of man, and we've been doing it since the fall itself. Um, it's actually a lot of the reason why people end up feeling alone uh, it's because, you know, not everybody's like, it's because they're bitter and they think less of everybody else. And so they don't feel like anybody can relate to them because they're all beneath them. E even if they don't logically think of it like that, that's what's going on in their subconscious. And I know because I used to live like that for years and it's horrible. Anyway, okay, so, so while in one sense, Revelation 4.1 is not describing the rapture of the church, in another sense, it could at least be a picture of the rapture. So John, of course, was, a, was very special. He was the last living apostle during the, uh, this time. And as the last living apostle, he got to experience this amazing revelation of heaven in the future. Similarly, there is a final generation of Christians, hopefully not too far in the future, uh, hopefully our current generation, that will experience the actual rapture. Um, now, I do want to talk about John 14, 1 through 3, because that talks about the rapture, and uh, in my opinion, and the opinion of many others who are much smarter than me. And this was actually one of the many things that convinced me the other rapture views don't work in totality with the Bible. So, John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So first off, where's the Father's house? Heaven, obviously. And there are many passages that speak of that. And this is also where Jesus ascended. So if the Father's house is in heaven, where are these uh, rooms that Jesus is preparing us? For, you know, wh where are they? Heaven, obviously. That's where the rooms are. So when Jesus comes to take us to himself, where will that be? Heaven. Now, the post-trib believer would have to say the earth, which is inconsistent. If the post-trib view is correct, these rooms would go unused. 
Because when Jesus returns to earth, we go up to meet him as he's descending and we come right back uh, to earth. We don't fully go up to heaven. In, in the pre-trib view, it's sort of like he's a returning king and we're like a procession that's going out to greet him. Um, we don't get caught up to heaven and then come back. It, it, you know, Jesus descends, we go up, and then we, we return with him. Those rooms would be totally unused. Uh, there would be no trip to heaven and no need for those rooms because at that point when Jesus returns, we're on earth for a thousand years. And then the new Jerusalem, we, we don't even see the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven down to earth until Revelation 21, which is a thousand years, which is after a, the thousand year reign of Jesus, uh, after the judgment of the world and after the new heavens and the, and the new earth. So the, the rooms that Jesus is building is in the old heavens, right? They're in the heavens that exist now because he, he goes up to prepare a place for us. In the post-trib view, when do those rooms ever get used? See, that, that doesn't mesh. So the, the, the post-trib view would have a problem here. What is John 14 talking about? Now, some will try to get around it by allegorizing it, saying that it means something other than just what it says. Uh, and you see a lot of that kind of stuff. The allegorization stuff is, is really bad because you can make the Bible say whatever you want if you allegorize it. But here, Jesus said that if it were not so, he would not have said it. With a qualification like that, do we really think that Jesus is trying to be unclear or allegorical? Do we think that this is something Jesus intends us to read in our own interpretations? Or is he being absolutely clear and making a wonderful promise to us? The, the pre-trib view fits best with this passage as we believe that we will be taken to heaven to live in those rooms temporarily for at least seven years, maybe longer, depending on how long of a span of time there is between the rapture and beginning of the tribulation. Uh, then after the seven years, we return to uh, earth with Christ to rule and reign on the earth with him as our king. It, it fits without having to redefine the words and promises of Jesus. It just, mean, it just fits with exactly what he said. So that to me is the easiest explanation and the one that makes the most sense without having to jump through hoops. Now without going too far down that rabbit hole, we can see that the events of Revelation 4.1, what happened to John, is an example or a type or a shadow of the real rapture that is yet to take place. So is Revelation 4 the rapture? Yes and no. <laughs> now another thing that's really interesting to throw out there, in the book of Revelation before this point that John is caught up to heaven, the word church is used 19 times. Just in the first three chapters, 19 times. Now, after this point in Revelation 4, it is not used again. Not until Jesus is wrapping up his conclusion at the very, very end of the book, saying to preach these things to the churches. But during the events of the tribulation, everything, after, uh, everything from chapter 4 and on, the church just is not present. Now, saints are present, but that word is referred to uh, Old Testament believers too, which, which makes sense because the book of Revelation really centers around Israel, not the church. This is how Israel will be brought back to repentance on a national level. This is why they need the testimony of the 144,000 Jews to uh, bring about this repentance instead of the church. If the church was still on the earth, why are the 144,000 doing the job of what, of what the church would be doing? Because what, what do the 144,000 do? They, they proclaim the gospel, right? It's, that's kind of their whole deal through their testimony. They, they, they proclaim the gospel and they get, they get Israel, they get people saved. Why isn't the church doing that? That's the job of the church, right? 
That's what God told us to do. That's our job. We are told to go out and, and, and make disciples of, of all people. So if Jesus is bringing uh, Israel to repentance, th- that's the job of the church, you know. So that's the job that he gave the church. Why is he then turning to these 144,000 Jews? Now, some might fill in their own conclusions. Some might say, well, the church isn't doing that great a job, so, uh, you know, Jesus is going to these other guys. Okay, well, the problem is the Bible doesn't say that. It, there, there, it doesn't actually say that. All it says is that God goes to these other 144,000. What makes most sense is because the church isn't present. There is no church. So it's these guys' job now. The, these these 144,000 are like the new, the, the new church almost. It, it's not exactly the same but um, because the church age is done, but it's, um, it's, it, it, they take over the job that the church has been doing during the church age, if that makes sense. So Jesus isn't telling the churches in the first three chapters that they need to get their act together because they need to preach the gospel around the world during the tribulation. Our time for that is now. And during that final week of Daniel promised to Israel, not the church, it will be the job of believing Jews to do this job. Otherwise, again, it would be the responsibility of the church if we were here. So this task isn't given to the church because the church isn't on earth at this time. Only post-rapture converts are, people who came to a belief in Christ sometime after the rapture of the church. Um, to give even more evidence towards this, we can look at the seven lamps and the 24 elders in heaven as evidence uh, that the church has been raptured by this time. In the beginning of Revelation, uh, John sees, if you remember the scene, if not, you can go back and read it, but John sees seven lamps in front of him with Jesus right there on earth before he's taken to heaven. Now, Jesus tells John that these lamps are the seven churches that he must write to. The lamps represent seven Christian churches, according to Revelation one twenty. Now, after John is caught up in Revelation 4, we see these lamps again, but now they're actually in heaven. And again, remember, this is before the tribulation even starts. Uh, Revelation 4.5 says, uh, Revelation 4.5b says, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So this is when the restrainer is removed, and the restrainer is the Holy Spirit for a variety of reasons that we don't have time to get into. Uh, but the, the Holy Spirit, which is these seven lamps and also represents the churches as the Holy Spirit within believers, is caught up to heaven, and we come up with it. And now we see these lamps in heaven. So the, the rapture is more like God's taken the Holy Spirit you know, fr- from the earth, but we get we, we, we come along for the ride. Uh, that's why I really like the word harpazo for the rapture, which comes from harpoon, because uh, that's exactly what it is. You know, when you get saved, you're like harpooned with the Holy Spirit, and you got that in you. And then at some point, the harpoon is brought back up. Um, the Holy Spirit is brought back up, and you with it. it, it it's a perfect perfect word for, for what the rapture actually is. Uh, but that's that's the restrainer that's talked about. Um, but that's why you see the, the lamps now in heaven, right when John arrives there, right in Revelation 4, because that's showing that the rapture has already taken place. So the seven spirits of God is another interesting study that we'll have to say for another time, but uh, we can briefly look at uh, Isaiah 11.2 to see that these spirits, uh, which actually together are the fullest of the Holy Spirit, it says, um, quote, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. 
Okay, so we have the spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of the fear of the Lord. So you got seven spirits there. Um, some have also equated this with Romans 12, 6, which tells us of some gifts that Christians can operate in, which are prophecy, servitude, teaching, encouragement, contribution, uh, leadership, and mercy. Now, it would be really interesting to do an in-depth study of all those in relation to the uh, problems of the seven churches and see if there's any correlations here. Like maybe the problem of the seven churches are due to a lacking in the seven spirits of God and could be solved by using the seven gifts. It could be, it could be interesting to, to see if there you know, might be a direct one-to-one connections with uh, each of these. Uh, and again, we'll have to do that some other time. But getting back to our study, uh, here in Revelation, we also see those seven lamps are now before the throne of God. Now, also, when we read about the 24 elders, their description is exactly the same as what Jesus promises to Christian churches in the first three chapters of Revelation. We see crowns, Revelation 2.10, white garments, Revelation 3.5, thrones, uh, Revelation 3.21. All the things that Jesus promised to us Christians, we see that in the 24 elders. They've already been given their gifts because they represent believers that have already been raptured. Um, also, elder is a word used in the New Testament to refer to authorities or leaders in the Christian church, such as Acts 15. Um, so you, if you compare Revelation chapters 1 through 3 with the description of the elders, you see that they, they have to be raptured Christians. They can't be anything else. They can't be angels, because for one thing, they're sitting on thrones with God. Uh, angels don't rule and reign on thrones. Actually, every time that you see angels, they're standing. They don't, they don't sit when in the presence of God, they stand because they're they're more like uh, guardians, messengers, that kind of thing. Um, but we we are promised that we will sit on thrones and rule and reign with Christ. Well, if the twenty four elders are not believers, if they're not Christians who have been raptured, um, then that's confusing. I mean that that that's almost deliberately confusing. John would be writing these descriptions in the first three chapters. And then he's writing the exact same description in chapter 4 concerning the elders, but he's not going to tell us, oh, by the way, that doesn't, that, that, those aren't believers. Uh, I, I can see how you would think that because it's the same exact description in the first three chapters, but they're not actually believers. They're this or they're that. But we don't get that. We don't get that at all. Now, we know that we receive these rewards at the rapture. The, these are raptured believers. They're... Um, uh, I think that's the best way to understand it. Um, I want to talk more about these 24 elders, who they are, who they aren't, uh, and, and we will get into that. Why, why can't they be angels? Why can't they be people who have already died a long time ago? You know, why, why, why couldn't one of those elders be my grandma who, who passed away? Or, you know, what's with the number 24? What's that all about? Um, also, there's a sea of glass like crystal that John saw in front of the throne, and I want to talk about what that is, which is really cool, and you're going to love it. Uh, but I want to talk about what that is, and uh, there's a lot more that we have to talk about, but first I have to tell you about Cornerstone Asset Metals. Now, concerning the economically unstable times that we live in, it's a great idea to convert some of your savings into real money. There's a big difference between what we call money, which is actually currency, so our dollar is currency, which fluctuates. Real money, like silver, is a store of value over time. So the best way to think of it is like this. If you had saved $1,000 in cash back in the late 60s, the late 1960s, 
that $1,000 would still be $1,000 today, but it would buy you significantly less today than it would back then because of inflation. Now, if you saved that same $1,000 in silver back in the 1960s, it actually would be worth around $28,000 today. Isn't that amazing? One of the best ways to protect your purchasing power is in real money, more specifically silver. Now, I've done this. Um, I have one, one company that I trust with this, and it's Cornerstone. You can buy and have the metal shipped discreetly to your door. And what most people don't know is that you can actually convert your IRA or even a 401k into physical silver rather than having all your life savings tied up in the paper fiat system, which is subject to hyperinflation. This is a Christian company. It's more like a Christian ministry. The, that, that it's for Christians. You know, we, we always say we wish we as Christians had our own thing. You know, we got we to gotta make our own thing. We got to make our own internet. We got to make our own ways of doing business. And, and well, Cornerstone Asset Metals has done this uh, in, in these regards. And I, I absolutely believe that we, we as Christians should be doing this. Uh, protecting your assets, making sure that um, you can leave something behind for your children or grandchildren if, if the Lord tarries. So what you can do uh, is go to dailyrenegade.com and click on the Cornerstone Asset Metals banner and sign up to get your free silver report. One of the financial experts will speak with you to find out the best way to protect your savings going forward in these uncertain times. So head on over to dailyrenegade.com and click on that banner. Well, we have so much more to talk about, but we're going to do that in the members-only section. You can get the rest of this episode by becoming a member today at dailyrenegade.com. Find this episode in the latest videos section or under the sharpening report if it's been a while since it's aired. And you'll have... Uh, direct access to the full episode, plus many, many other videos that we offer that aren't available in full anywhere else. You also get early access, so there's all sorts of perks. So come be a member today and join the family. It's dailyrenegade.com. Uh, it's $10 a month or $100 a year. I suggest getting the $100 a year because it's actually cheaper. Month to month, um, if you do the $10 a month, uh, you're paying $120 a year, whereas $100 a year, technically it's sort of like you're getting two months for free. So uh, if you can do it, get get the yearly um, membership. Uh, it's, it's cheaper. You only have to do it once and you don't have to think about it for a whole year. So if, if you can do it, that's the one to do. So uh, come be a member today and join the family, dailyrenegade.com. And with that, members, hang on the line. Everyone else viewing for free, thank you so much. And until next time, take care and God bless.